Welcome to Shock Your Potential, business podcast meets radio talk show. My guests are everyday people trying to make a difference in leadership, sales, and customer service. I apply the tell me more principles from my book to help each person facilitate a solution that works for them. Join us today as we meet another great person trying to make a difference in this world. Hello and welcome again to Shock Your Potential, the business podcast that focuses on excellence in leadership, sales, and the customer experience. And today we have a little bit different format, and that is uh, tables are going to get turned on me today. And instead of me having a guest to interview, I'm going to be interviewed by a very good friend of mine and former employee as well, but more friend than anything. Her name is Eileen Hamp. She probably knows more about me than anyone should know and hopefully won't ever use it against me. But who knows? Today could be that time. So Eileen, welcome to my podcast. And uh, I just want to uh, give you a chance first to, to tell our listeners about a little bit about yourself. Well, Michael, thank you so much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure that I get the opportunity to do this because for years I've had a list of questions I wanted to ask you, and now it's my turn. Oh, boy. I know one of the things in our history that you always shared with me was tell me more. So today is your turn to tell me more. I, as you know, have worked for Michael. At the present time, we do not share that because Michael is moving forward in her career teaching and showing people what she's given me the opportunity to stand by her hip and learn. Having the opportunity to listen to her and to get to know her is great. You can trust me on that and very, very rewarding. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So Michael, if you're ready, I think the best place for us to start is you share a lot of positive leadership in your LinkedIn comments and your Facebook comments. And through that leadership, obviously, it drives sales and customer services experiences. Share with me something that absolutely shocked you. We're going to talk a lot today about shocking your potential, but share with me something that actually shocked you that you've been through on an experience. Wow, that's a a big, hefty question. (laughs) I, I think every day I'm shocked and not always for the good. In fact, it's been interesting that I've had people make comments sometimes like, you know, how come you only focus on the positive? How can we, how can we improve if we're only, you know, uh, looking through rose colored glasses? Um, But I think I made a real conscientious choice as I move forward in this writing and speaking career to only focus on positive because, we all have you know, a plethora of experiences that are negative, negative sales, ne- negative customer experiences. And I choose to look at the positive to guide myself, but also to celebrate those things. And, and so because of that, I think every day I find greatness if you choose to look for it. And sometimes they're the simplest moments. But you know, just recently, I think thinking about positive, is uh, I've been reflecting on my trip over the holidays to the British Virgin Islands that were severely hit by both Irma and then Maria back to back. Um, People's homes gone, people's livelihoods gone, Um, buildings just destroyed, Uh, cars, you couldn't find a car on the island of Tortola that uh, had all windshields and all windows still intact. And yet everywhere we went, 
the positivity of the people that live there and their desire to welcome you and make you feel so glad that you came um, was just phenomenal in so many ways from the the grocery store that you know is rebuilding to the hotel that uh, only had 20 of their 75 worm rooms in a workable order everyone had a smile everyone wanted us to feel like we should be there and every day i get to see different experiences of all kinds of things but that was just stunning to me to see despite how many hardships people just still keep going because they're thankful to be alive and they're thankful to have people coming there to spend money. So Michael, does that mean that when you're focusing on that trip or focusing on service, does that mean you ignore the negative or you only focus as a, as a business owner or a business leader, what one thing would you say that if you had recognized it, you could have shot my potential faster? You know, what's that piece of advice when you're telling me about all this positive? Well, and, and I think that I, what I've, with this conscious effort, what I do that most people don't know is if I've had an exceptionally poor experience, I go directly to the source. So my belief is that, you know, kind of don't, don't belittle people on a public forum. It's too easy uh, with social media today. It's too easy to put out a complaint and, you know, put it out there for the world. But you don't know if that person in the, at the airport or that person in the hotel or that person in the restaurant, you don't know what their day was like, and you don't know what the whole training uh, environment was, is for that building, you know, that, um, for that business. But you can stop and say, okay, I had a, a, poor experience here. I'm going to go directly to the source, go to the manager, go to the owner, um, go to the, you know, the, the department that deals with complaints. And I always take exceptionally poor experiences to those people in hopes that they will see there's an opportunity to learn and develop and change, but not to punish. Um, so I don't ever ignore the bad. I ignore the, uh, mediocre because it's, it's not worth my time to change for the good or the bad, I, I guess. Um, but when I see the positive, even in the littlest moments, my belief is that as we celebrate them and we put those on the world stage, we not only recognize people who then may use that as impetus to do more, but we also change the dialogue and we look at things from a different perspective. So that's why I still, I still highlight it when it's really bad, but just never for the rest of the world to see. So in talking about that, is that your commitment to your company to increase customer service? And is that what you do to ensure it? Um, you're talking about going to owners or managers. Uh, I totally agree with you about staying off the stage of social media. Um, people learn, I think, better behind the door sometime than up front. But let's talk about that a minute, about your company's commitment. You know, tell me about some of the things you've been able to change and some of the experiences you know, how do you ensure that when talking to a company or giving them feedback or working directly with employees? I know you've had that opportunity to do that. Yeah. You know, right now, as I'm moving into this next phase of, I guess, my career with my writing and my speaking, I'm speaking to all kinds of different groups. And that's been so eye-opening. You know, after, you know, spending 10 years in one industry, it's nice to 
all of a sudden be opened up to all these other industries. And let me give you an example. Um, I am a regular speaker at a, a medical center here in the greater Philadelphia area. And I've been invited in on a, a fairly regular basis to speak to the attending and uh, attending physicians um, and specifically the physicians that are in their last years of re- residency and fellowship. And the whole topic is on leadership and the customer experience. And so we've had these dialogues about the customer is not just the patient. You know, the customer is not just the patient's family. You know, the customer is that person that is the um, the rehab specialist that you have to call in to come in to work in the ICU, or it might be the nurse that has to take the blood and, you know, take it down to the lab. It might be the people in the lab, you know, raising awareness of who do you impact and what are you presenting with the way you talk, with the way you interact, with the way you even approach your job. So when I start to talk about these things and I only use it, first of all, from the positive, kind of like paint me a picture of the best day as an attending physician when everything goes right, I try to highlight, you know, do you see beyond yourself and to what that impact is and then try to strive for that always from the positive rather than being frustrated or getting upset or feeling like nobody's on your side you know, the raised awareness is about looking outside of yourself. So, you know, that was, that's one example, but so many more that I'm coming across in different, uh, different core groups, different organizations. I, I spoke in the fall to a, a group of project managers about, you know, do you understand how to avoid uh, what's called scope creep in project management, which is, you know, here's the project that we agreed to do. It starts out at one phase and it ends in a completely other because we're not communicating. Um, you can avoid that that misconception just by communication, but it takes the ability, the desire, and then the fortitude to actually follow through and look beyond yourself. You know, it's so interesting when you talk about paint a picture because that's kind of what your logo is, right? That paint. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting to me. I now understand where that came from. If you could have done, given yourself one piece of advice early in your career that would have shocked your potential. You know, we're talking about shocking employees and shocking managers and, and business owners. You know, what piece of advice would it have been that you had given yourself that would have shocked your potential faster? I would have taken a closer look at what I wrote about in my first book, Tell Me More. And I really would have, especially early in my career when I was managing others, you know, when I first became a leader, I wasn't a leader. I was just a manager. Um, there's a, a great book that I, I love to uh, to use which talks about, you know, the different levels of leadership. And, you know, the first one is always, you know, are you a leader just in name only? And when I first began, you know, my journey decades ago, I was just in name only. I didn't have any experience. I didn't know. I kind of liked being the boss, (laughs) you know? And so sometimes I was bossy. Um, And I didn't always listen to people around me because I thought that was what it meant to be the boss is that you did things and you made all the decisions and, you know, you carried all those monkeys on your back. Uh, Now that I look back on my career, if I would have had access to stop and do things like say to people, you know, tell me more, tell me what, you know, what you want to do on this project or tell me more about why you think that's the, the action you should take here. I think I would have 
propelled myself faster and farther. And, you know, I've had a great career. I've had some really incredible positions and I've had huge responsibilities, both in numbers of employees and and revenue volume. Um, But at the same time, it took a lot of years to get to that point where I could sit back and be a little bit more relaxed and not try and take on every challenge my own, but rather than develop the people around me by listening, guiding, helping, and and supporting rather than me feeling like I'm a one-man army and it can only be done if I do it. I, If I could go back and do that in my early 20s, I'd be in a much different position today. So, Michael, you, you talk a lot about Tell Me More, and I know that that's your, uh, the title of your bestseller, and I know that it's really important to you in your business, but why is it important to everyone else? Why is this message so important to other leaders to get? How did it affect you? How does it affect the people that work for, for you or are in your family utilizing that tell me more attitude? Some people at first think I'm kind of crazy with it because it's very simple. You know, I mean, the concept, I would say it's just exceptionally simple, but it's not easy And the key is whether or not you do it. And so, you know, it it really comes down to three key components is that, you know, the tell me more strategy that I really, when I sat back and I looked at my career and said, what makes me successful? What has done the most for me as well as my team? You know, there's really three pieces. One is to actively listen so that, you know, instead of always having your mind running five steps ahead to stop and listen to the person in front of you, especially if they're coming to you with a problem, instead of trying to solve it, to just stop and listen. And when you can listen and you listen, I always say, listen with your entire being. If you're with that person, put your phone down, stop whatever you're doing, look them in the eyes. Yeah. If you're on the phone with them, turn away from your computer, you know, put your phone down again, listen intently on the phone because it's even more difficult there to really give all the attention. Because when you do that and you actively listen like that, you hear things that you might not otherwise, and definitely that you could easily miss. But when you do that, then from active listening means that you're basically unpacking then whatever the issue is. So I always talk about like a suitcase that's, you know, shoved so full of clothes, you know, have your, I know you have done this as well. You have so many things in the suitcase that is, you know, stuff is falling out and you have to sit on it to try and zip it. Or have several people sit on it. Exactly. And and my husband laughs at me. That's why I have to get a new suitcase every year because I've pretty much destroyed them. But, you know, when you unpack it, when instead of trying to shove it full and sit on it and zip it, if you instead open it back up and you take everything out, which is kind of the unpacking when you listen, you see all the pieces arranged in front of you and you can decide which ones are important to go back in. And if they're all important to go back in, What order do you put them in so it closes without having that force? And so from that, it's, you know, the third point that I always talk about is, you know, from that, you can really facilitate a solution that is positive, that is driven. And in the case of being a leader that can help the person that's in front of you come to that conclusion on their own, you can guide them, you can help them. But when the people that work for you gain that kind of empowerment their ability to do their job and succeed and succeed for you grows exponentially. I mean, it's very, very simple, but it's not easy because it takes time and it takes patience and it takes the understanding that you're trying to develop people and processes better than you just solving them all on your own. 
Wow, that's a that's a mouthful. But breaking it down into those three pieces that are digestible, I think will help anyone. Michael, when you wrote your book, you found this voice that you chose to use in writing it. Tell me about that. Tell me about how you decided to use the voice you're using within that material. It's been such an amazing couple of years because I always wanted to write a book and I just couldn't. For some reason, I it, there was just something that kept stopping me. And I think it's because somewhere in my brain, I assumed that I had to um, write something that was going to be like a textbook and it was going to be very formal and very fancy. And instead, I was sitting myself at a conference at the uh, Pennsylvania uh, Conference for Women a couple years ago. And I was sitting there as a participant and it had been so long since I had been a participant. I'd always been the organizer. I'd always been the speaker. I'd always been the person, you know, whining and dining clients. And just to sit there and listen I gained my voice and said, okay, I want to write this as if it's a story and make it really easy to digest and really easy to read. And when I sat down, I I came back from that conference and literally the next day started writing. Six weeks later, I had a complete manuscript. It was amazing how it just flowed. Now, of course, it took me six months to edit the dang thing, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, but and that's how the second book is coming. So I'm almost done with the second book, um, and it's and it's very freeing. But I think to your question about the voice, is that you know the authentic part of me is making everything about an easy to digest lesson. Now, not everybody who's worked for me has always felt like it was easy to digest, uh, but I think now when they've had separation, they uh, they see it for what it is. But the reason I want to write that way is I want anybody to pick it up, whether or not you're brand new to leadership or you are a CEO. Um, and I have a couple of CEOs who've read it who have very illustrious careers who've said, this book is exactly what we all need to be talking about. And to me, that that tells me I've hit the nail on the head. I don't know how I did it. I'm glad I did. But it's been it's been such a joy. Since we're talking about the book, let's just stay on that topic for a minute. I know that you go across the country. I also know that you've spoken in Europe, but I know that you go across the country and, and you're getting out there in front of people, delivering your message making everyone's lives easier by teaching people to actively listen. So I'm aware of this, but what differentiates you from all of the other offers with their self-help books? Why you? Why are you different? You know, why should I choose you over listening to somebody else's podcast? What's your thoughts about that? Now, besides the fact that I'm just incredibly awesome. <laughs> yes, besides that, and you have a that says that. And you say that every time you look in the mirror. Exactly. You know, I my passion is making sure that no matter where I am or what group I'm speaking to, that I know them, that I've got to get to know them. Um, I've listened to so many speakers throughout my career, and some have been really motivational. Some have been really moving. Um, some have been very inspiring. Some have taught me a great deal. But the one thing that always stands out for me is whether or not someone actually 
looks like they have researched the group or the company. Um, Because when they do, it's clear. You know, if they've spent time and they've eaten lunch, you know, with people at at the table and gotten to know a few different, you know, people within the organization, they can talk about that on stage. And they, if they've asked about the mission, they can, you know, they can, uh, they can pull it through and they pull through the message. Um, One of the greatest that I um, saw uh, recently that really, I think, struck me was a, a speaker who he not only had, um, and I'll, I'll share a little bit later about who he is, but before that, you know, he's a very powerful man in his own right. And he has, you know, this great following. And he's got great presence. But he knew he went to a trade organization and I was just sitting in the audience and he knew the theme for that meeting. He pulled the theme through uh, the entire presentation that he does all the time. He talked, he referenced specific people in in that audience, and it made it very personable, but it also said, I care enough to take your mission and make it my mission. It's not just about me. In fact, that's what I have written on my wall. Um, As you know, I have a a wall in my office that is uh, a dry erase wall. It's all covered with dry erase paint. And the line that I have says, it's not about me. And that's what I want to bring to the table every time I go to a group. So I do a lot of research. I want to talk to as many people as I can. I want to make sure that... um, that you know, I am incorporating what is important to them because if I don't, then you're right. I'm just like everybody else, only trying to promote my own message. Uh, and I think that's a, a really important point across the board: is when speakers go in front of groups, are they promoting their message, or is it a cohesive message with the group that you're speaking in front of? I know that we had talked about podcasts and you know why you thought they were important or how they would benefit. Um, people. So tell me about that. Tell the listener about that. Why podcast, Michael? It's interesting now, you know, when I'm not a, I'm known within certain circles and the people who know me, um, they like what they've heard. They like to interact. They like what I'm writing. And, and speaking of finding my voice, what I do in my daily blog, Thoughts from the Coffee Table, which I'll explain why it's that instead of Thought of the Day, um, I've found a, a voice that I think is very authentic, but still only certain people know me or, or have heard me through my writing. But I think there's more to the dialogue. So when I decided I wanted to do a podcast before my husband laughed and told me I was trying to take on too many things and I'm crazy, um, is I still wanted another format to highlight excellence. And that's why I say in the beginning, you know, this is a business podcast that's focused on excellence in, in leadership sales and customer experiences, because I want to highlight and not only write about them in 1300 characters or less so that it fits on the LinkedIn platform, but so that you can hear from some of these people. And it was very, very fun because my, uh, one of uh, my nephews is actually editing my podcasts for me and he is, you know, in his thirties and, you know, he's got a different career trajectory. He's got his own production companies. And when he listened to the first podcast that I sent to him, to edit because I wanted him to get a feel for it. And he said, I'm sorry it took me so long to edit it. I had to listen to the whole thing. I was, I couldn't stop listening. And I went, wow, okay, there's a message here. So I am, I'm, I am onto something. People want to know from other successful people, what have you done? How have you done it? When you look back, what would you do yourself differently? You know, what would you do differently in your life to propel yourself further? 
And, you know, and what are you still facing now that we can talk about it in a forum? So the podcast to me is a whole brand new medium. And the conversations that I've had when I've uh, made the recordings of the first 30 episodes have just been, they've just been such a joy because I get to, I, I get to talk with people in a way that we don't always take the time to do day to day. And that's to sit down and say to somebody, hey, look, you're really successful. Tell me about that. And so for 30 to 45 minutes, I can learn from people and I can share that with others. So it's, it's, so, it's so fun. And, um, you know, as I go forward with this, it, it's just become such a passion to me as a different way to show my voice. But on the business side, it also tells people a little bit what to expect. If they've never heard me, they've never seen me, um, they'll get a feel for, you know, really, I think my authentic self, which is coming through in a whole different channel through these podcasts. So we had the opportunity, we've talked about customer service and we've talked about leadership. You just mentioned sales. We haven't really hit on that at all. You, I know that you have a certain focus by driving customer service and creating leaders that sales naturally come through that that process. So let's take a minute and just go through that. Tell me where your head's at. Tell me what your voice is. You know, tell me those things that bring all of these pieces together into creating a puzzle. My underlying belief is that every part of life has a sales component. And so as I say this, there's going to be people listening that say, oh, no, I'm, I do X, Y, Z. It's not sales. <laughs> but I believe that there's sales in ways we don't always see. But the real key to me is I want people to embrace the concept of sales as a positive no matter what you're in. And let me, let me give you an example. So years and years and years ago, I worked for a nonprofit. And I had a very good friend of mine, and he's going to probably kill me when I tell this story, although I'm not going to say who he is, but he'll know when he listens to this podcast. And he was doing a presentation in front of, I was doing a train the trainer with a bunch of teachers, and we were doing a finance training. And I had this gentleman in, he worked for the credit bureau um, back in my lovely town of Spokane, Washington. And he was doing this great presentation on the importance of credit reports and how to protect them. And so the whole goal was to, you know, teach these teachers teachers so they could go back and teach their students. And at the end of uh, his, at the end of the day, I went up to him and I said, you know, you are one of the greatest salesmen I've ever met. And he said, what do you mean? I'm not in sales. I'm just like the, you know, the PR guy. And I, I, at first, I mean, we're very, very good friends, but I knew I kind of offended him. And so I said, no, let me, let me explain. You know, sales is about helping somebody to embrace an idea or a concept, whether it's buy a pair of shoes or have a good credit report, to to really get behind that. And so the more we had that dialogue over the years, the more he's like, you know what, I'm a really good salesperson. <laughs> and, and it was just that awareness to me that it's all in how we look at it. If we look at it as a negative, it's because we think that sales is bad or that you're trying to take advantage of somebody. But sales is just an interaction. And it's not any different than a, a mother or a father trying to convince their sick child to take medicine. That's a sales process. You know, come on, you're going to feel better. Oh, it's cherry flavored. Oh, you know, I'll give you a cookie afterward. It's still sales. It doesn't mean it's bad. What a great analogy. <laughs> We're trying to help people, you know, to make a different decision. And so for me, 
even though I, I kind of come about around about sales in a different way, um, because it, it, to me comes first through leadership, how we interact with our, you know, the people around us, whether it's our customers or our fellow employees or colleagues, whatever, that's a leadership, you know, in terms of how we present. It's also about the experience you're trying to deliver. And if you put those with the right focus, sales will come naturally. That's what I want to help accomplish. So, you know, a lot of times when I focus on all these positives, it's at the end of the day, if you read my thoughts from the coffee table every day, they're all about sales in some way, shape or form. Some reason that I've made a decision to buy in, buy a product, buy that that service, um, you know, just to buy the concept. It's about sales, even though I might not highlight it from that standpoint. So one of the commitments that you made to us was to discuss where thoughts from the coffee table came from. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was, uh, it's very funny because at first I was doing thought, a thought of the day. And I used to do that decades ago. I'd have a thought of the day, which was mainly quotes. And then over time, I kind of did it different points in my career. But as I started this journey fully last spring, I started saying, well, you know, it's time I'm going to put thoughts from the day out there again. And I kind of played around with it. I was trying to find a new voice. And I realized then, you know, because my goal is to do this every day, Monday through Friday, except for on holidays. And I think I've only missed two days, you know, since March or something. Um, but a couple months into it, I realized that I always came up with my idea every morning while sitting on my couch with my cup of coffee, looking at my coffee, sitting on the coffee table. And so I thought, you know what, in order to differentiate myself a little bit as well, you know, these thoughts are really coming from me sitting here at my coffee table. That's what I'm going to write about. And even though it takes up a lot more characters <laughs> when I only have 1300 limit, um, it really became my not only my uh, description for it, but I, I want people to realize that I come up with this every day. I don't have a list of them all done. I haven't uh, you know booked them all in advance, you know, unlike my podcast that I'm trying to do a whole bunch and have them ready to go. Every morning I wake up and say, what am I going to write about today? And that, it keeps me on my toes. It keeps it fresh, but it's really fun. And every day it's a little bit of a, oh my gosh, am I going to have it now? But when I sit down, I put that coffee mug on the coffee table, I get it. And that's why you see most of the pictures. If I have a product or something, it's actually taken on my coffee table right there in my living room every day. What a great story. You know, in closing, Michael, there's only one more story that I'd like you to share with your listeners. Uh oh. How is it that is as a woman, your name is Michael. <laughs> that, that's a good question. I'm surprised I haven't uh, discussed that before. Um, so it's, it's for me, one of the most defining characteristics about who I am. Um, and it's funny because when people meet me, you know, they'll say, oh, your parents wanted a boy. And they think it's funny because, you know, like I've never heard that before. And I always say, no, my parents wanted me exactly. So the I'll do the abbreviated version of this is I'm the last of six children. So I have five brothers and sisters that are um, all older than I am. I like to point that out to them frequently that I am the youngest by uh, at least 11 years. So uh, when I was, when I came into being, I was not a part of this family. So in other words, I was adopted. All my siblings are um, from my parents. And then they adopted me 11 years after um, my next youngest sibling was born. And being born in a, you know, a small town in Washington state, 
I had uh, been already given another name. I was eight weeks old at the time my parents got me. And so my parents, you know, they knew they had to at least call me by a different name until it was certain that they would be able to complete the adoption. And so they didn't know what to call me. My middle name at the time was Anne, uh, was Marie. And so my parents called me Marie, then they called me Anne Marie, and they kind of bounced around. But we had a family friend who always had wanted one of the Sherlock kids to be named after him. And uh, none of them are, except for uh, one of my brothers, his middle name. As a joke, my parents said, you know what? This is going to be our last kid. We're going to name her Michael. And they really started it as a joke to say, you know, we get, we're going to give, pay you some homage, a uh, person in our life that's really important. And then the more that my parents thought about it, they decided they liked it. So I was officially adopted when I was about a year and a half. And my parents said, you know what? We liked it. So they named me Michael and Marie Sherlock. And uh, it's it's been such a joy because it it's so different. You know, people are surprised by it. They're shocked. They never want to offend me, you know, and call me Michael if they think it might be Michelle. But to me, it's one of those things that from my parents to me was one of the greatest gifts because I always have a way to start a conversation <laughs> and I always have something that makes me different. Um, not that I'm not different on my own, but I think that's probably part of how I became who I am. <laughs> Michael, thank you for your time and thank you for being such a joy. I appreciate the time we spent together. I do too. And I am so thankful that you, uh, you agreed to do the interview with me today because there's not many people that I would want more in that seat talking to me than you, my friend. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. You too.